0: You're listening to RiverCast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Well, take your Bible, if you would, and look at 1 Corinthians 3. And uh, I still have a little bit of the remnants of my head cold from uh, a week or so ago, so bear with me. Hopefully I won't have much of that nagging cough with me. I'm trying to kind of just keep my distance from people. You know, today, if you have an allergy or any kind of sinus thing, it's like you've got the plague. So I'm trying to... You know, how do you be with people? But like, no, I'm not dangerous. I'm really okay, you know, but just at the same time, just, um, you know, continue to serve. So uh, I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter, or 2 Corinthians, excuse me, chapter 3 this morning. We want to talk about the new covenant. Uh, I love the children's story that we just did uh, and shared the crucifixion of Christ. I love that our kids are talking about that today. At the same time, in just a little bit, we will share together the, the, the method that Jesus told us to remember that by. Uh, in theory, Jesus could have waited to have come till video technology were capable, and we could have been watching video every month, you know, of Jesus' crucifixion. But I think he did it before that, because the big deal is not the video. He wants us to partici- per- personally participate in the memorial, if you will, as we take the cracker, the wafer, and the juice as a remembering uh, remembrance of Jesus. But uh, it just works out so well that this morning that 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is all about that new covenant, that new relationship with Jesus Christ. So let me read a couple of verses to you, and then we'll, we'll talk about this chapter. The Bible says this in chapter 3, verse 2. Paul says to the church, he says, You yourselves are our letter of recommendation. Paul's asking a question like, do we need to send letters of commendation? You know, like if you go to a new job, do we do we need references to to you or to other churches about why we're good apostles, why you should listen to us, he basically is saying no. He says, look, you're, you're our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, just the fact that you exist and you're proof positive that, that God is using us as an apostles, and you're to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of, of the living God. I love that. Not on tablets of stone, in other words, not the Ten Commandments, but on tablets of human hearts. Pray with me, would you? Father, we're grateful that the Lord Jesus died on the cross for our sins. I thank you that the Holy Spirit writes His Word not on stone, writes your Word not on stone, but on our hearts. Father, thank you for this new covenant May we celebrate it. May we appreciate it a little bit more and definitely anew and afresh this morning as we worship and glorify You. Father, we praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want you to recognize with me is that God relates to us in covenant. God doesn't just accept everyone, um, whomever. He, He relates to us specifically within a covenant relationship. You know, I suppose you know many of you like sports. Not everybody likes sports, but you you, you like sports, or if you've got your thing—I don't know if you're a gamer or whatever your thing is—but you don't write into a sports team or any kind of thing and say, like, "Can I be your fan?" You know, would it be okay? Excuse me, if I bought your merchandise and if I wore it and if I watched your games? Like nobody did that. You just you chose to be a fan, right? So when we think about a relationship with God. Some people kind of approach the relationship like that. Well, we can just kind of become a fan of God. Like we're just going to, okay, God, I'm now a fan, I believe. Almost like the sports team. Like we believe this is our year, you know. If we're not careful, we can boil the faith, the Christian faith down, reduce it down, and almost make it more like fandom than we do something that's real in our heart. Almost something that's either institutional or religion that we hold to or more of a fan that we're like, oh, yeah, I believe, and, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of God. Of course I am. But what we're going to see this morning is is that God relates to us in a much more intense, a much more formal and real relationship that we call a, a covenant. That's what Paul said. He said this is the the covenant. He says it, it it is it is something that God writes in our heart. Look at verse four. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we're sufficient in ourselves to complain. to, to claim that anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter, in other words, the letter of the law, the Old Testament law kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul said, we are ministers of this new covenant, this new relationship with Jesus Christ. When the Bible, when we remember the story of Moses in the, in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 31, it, it, we, we see that Moses goes and, and, and the Bible's recounting kind of that covenant that God made with His people. That Old Testament, that Old Testament Ten Commandments is really not just ten rules, if you will, to follow, but it's a picture of the covenant that God, the, the relationship that God was establishing with people. Look what the Bible says in verse 27 of Exodus. I said 31. It's actually 34. The Bible says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words. He's talking about the Ten Commandments. For in accordance with these words, I have made a, here it is, a covenant with you and with Israel. And he wrote down to verse 28, And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. God relates to people, not on a whim, not just in a passing fandom, not in a, oh, I'm friends with with you, not in a just a a, a casual kind of relationship. When God accepts someone into His family, when God receives someone, He enters into a covenant with them. It is a very serious, a very intense kind of thing. In the Old Testament, which by the way, the word covenant means testament, When God related to people in that old fashion, it was a a, a law that he gave them. And if you were to be a part of his family, then he said, you've got to obey my words. And these are the things that you have to do as a part of that relationship. And today, we know that that new covenant that we celebrate, that New Testament, if you will is a testament that's focused on Jesus Christ, that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins as we saw just a moment again, and that He rose again from the grave, and he, as we sung about this morning already, that He is he's coming again. That's the, the new arrangement that He has made with people through the blood of Jesus Christ. When the Bible talks about, when Paul mentions that new covenant here that we just read, it doesn't go into much detail about it. He's assuming that we know what it is. Now, most of us, many of us know what it is, but let me unpack that just for a minute. If you go back, as Dan shared last week in chapter 2, verse 12, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, Paul, Paul said he was a minister of a new covenant, and just a few verses before he said that he came to preach Jesus Christ. You see, the new covenant is all about Jesus. It's the proclamation, it's the declaration of the good news of Jesus, the good news being that we no longer have to be enslaved to sin, that we no longer have to be condemned by the laws, we no longer have to face God in all of eternity with only our own resources, but that Jesus died on the cross in our place and He rose again so that through Him we have the ability to have a a wonderful relationship with God. Too often people take a relationship with God as something just very casual. of course I believe in God. I went to church, doesn't everybody? I'm a good person, all these things. And we create a covenant in our mind, a relationship or a status, if you will, between us and God that's really not at all what God established. You see, the covenant that God relates to us through is in a covenant of His own doing. It's not a covenant of our doing. It's not like two people standing up, getting married. Marriage is another example. We have all kinds of covenants that we live by. We don't usually think of that, but they're kind of terms of agreement, if you will. Relationship. When a man and a woman say, I do, they are making a covenant, a commitment, a promise to one another in that covenant. And when we think about what God, the covenant that God made with us through Jesus Christ, it is a covenant of His own doing. He did all the heavy lifting. He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross. He took the step forward, and He raised Him from the dead. And all that He asked from us is that we would simply receive Him by faith. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But for now, I want us to have and and to realize is that the relationship we have with God is not this casual, you know, on our own terms, kind of whatever we want to make of it kind of thing. But instead, it is us responding to something that God has done significantly through Jesus. Now, the second thing I want you to notice is that this relationship that we have is absolutely amazing. It's absolutely wonderful. It's, it's an amazing deal if we could think about it that way. The second best day of my life, maybe third best day, First best day was when I got saved. Maybe, maybe when you were I was born, right? But, but outside of that was the day I got married. And the day I got married, I got a good deal. All right. I think my wife got the worst end of that deal. You know, in every you buy a car, like you walk away like that. I get the deal, or did the other person get the deal? Right? Well, in the marriage, it's a no-brainer. I got the best part of the deal. Well, this covenant relationship with God. When we enter into that, we get the deal, guys. We, we, it is absolutely amazing. I want you to notice a few things about this in this passage. I'm not going to take time to read all the way through it. It's Frankly, it's a little convoluted. There's some amazing things in here, but that's really what the life group, you guys can unpack this. But look at verse 3. The, Paul says that, And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on the tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. Get the picture. When God was making His, His covenant relating with people in the Old Testament, He wrote it on a museum piece, a piece of stone that could be institutionalized, could be put in a museum, that could be put on display, you know, in, a, in that kind of setting. But what the Bible's telling us is that when God makes a relationship with us now in this new covenant... That he writes it in on our hearts and he does it by the Holy Spirit. That means it's personal and it's spiritual. That means it's deeply intimate with each one of us. What we're talking about when we think of the new covenant, this new relationship, we're, we're not talking about a religion that we adhere to. We're not talking about, well, what are you? What is your faith? We're not talking about a, an objective outside of kind of thing, like, kind of like, well, what's your favorite team? You know, what, what did you have for lunch? We're, we're talking about something that's deeply intimate that the God of heaven is entering into a relationship with us personally inside of our hearts, and the Holy Spirit takes those truths and those realities and he, He writes them in His own hand inside of us. It is something that is deeply spiritual, something that is deeply personal. It goes way beyond what denomination you're a part of or what church you went to or, or any kind of traditions that you followed or any kind of set of rules. It's way beyond an institution, way beyond anything that we might see in a museum piece. Oftentimes people are like, well, I love going to church because I love the way that I feel when I look at the stained glass windows or I love the this or I love the that. And, and that can be great or I love the music and those things are wonderful. But what we're talking about, this new covenant, Paul is saying something amazing to us. It is something that is just personal, that we carry with us, that can never be touched, that can never be taken away, and it's just deeply intimate down in our soul. It's amazing. That's the first thing I want you to notice about. second thing I want you to notice about is that it gives life. Life group leaders, as you walk, as you guys discuss this, and as you talk about in in groups this week... This passage over and over talks about the Holy Spirit, about that. And I'm excited about you guys diving into that part of the conversation and what God has done and is doing inside of your life. But if you look at verse 6, this new covenant is not of the letter, but it's of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Notice this new covenant is life-giving. It gives life. The old covenant the Bible says in verse 7, was a ministry of death. In verse 9, it refers to it as a ministry of condemnation. See, the Old Testament law was there to prove to us that we were spiritually sinners before God and it proved to us that we were dead men, dead men and women walking, if you will. And that law was there to condemn us. The laws, the rules to follow there were not ten steps to heaven. It's not a stairway to heaven, as the old song goes. It was there actually to do the opposite, to show us that we are going to the other place because when you break a law, the only thing the law can do is tell you you're guilty. It can't give you freedom, can't give you grace, can't give you mercy. A judge might give you grace, but the law can't. The law says... You are guilty or you're innocent. And if you've broken it, the only thing the law can do is say you are absolutely guilty. And that kills us. Paul says this new covenant is amazing because the old one really was only there to prove to us that we needed help, prove to us that we were in desperate need to get us to the point where we would call out for salvation and for hope and something beyond ourselves. This, um, because of COVID, I think, and it's a new, not a, a new phenomenon, but it's been building. A lot of people are going outside and hiking these days in the Adirondacks and frankly all over the country, maybe all over the world, I don't know. And uh, today, for a lot of people, you know, you you hop online and you read a little article and you're like, oh, I can do that, you know, and people aren't prepared, you know. They're hiking up mountains and sneakers and little flip-flops or whatever. They're getting in trouble, and um, in fact, you know, Four strangers uh, have a lot of job security going out and rescuing all kinds of people. Well, this past week, there was a couple of young guys, um, and they were hiking in Canada. This happened to be out, out in the western part of the, the country. And uh, they were wearing sneakers, one guy had shorts on, and they were getting up an altitude, okay? And, and like, like most people, you know, they didn't have much. They didn't have any clothes, they weren't planning on staying the night, uh, they didn't have any emergency anything. And they, may, they managed to get lost, and they're going up and up and up to where they're, up in, they're in elevation, and they're starting to hike in snow and all kinds of stuff. There's snow all over the ground, and, and they're turned around. And uh, finally, they were able to find a cell phone signal to where they were able to call rescuers. When the rescuers got to them, their sneakers were soaking wet, their clothes were literally frozen because they were cotton, which is terrible to hike in, and they would have probably died overnight. They just did not have the, the ability to make it. See, what the law did in the Old Testament was to get us to the point to where those hikers were. They knew that their own, left to their own resources, they were in trouble, that they couldn't take care of themselves, that they had no hope, and that they needed to reach out to someone else other than themselves to save them. And if that someone else didn't save them, they were goners. That's what the Old Covenant was all about. You see, the laws are there to prove to you and me that we need help, that we're goners, that left to ourselves... We can't fix our problems. We can't fix our sin. We can't fix our issues. We can't overcome our, 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 our addictions. We can't overcome our, uh, uh, the things that, that we give ourselves to. We can't overcome any of that, and we can't definitely overcome our, the consequences of it, which is death. And so it was designed for us to say, I need help. And not to look at the church, because the church can't do that either but to instead look to God and say, God, help me. And the new covenant comes along and says, I'm glad you asked. That When those guys made that phone call, they dispatched two helicopters just before sunset and managed to land close enough, and they were fine after all of that. When we turn to God, we're saying, God, I need your help. I can't overcome this junk that I see in my heart. I'm not the person that I want to be. And God, I know I'm convicted and I feel bad about all of this stuff. But God, I know that your son Jesus died for me and I know that you love me. And that's what reaches out. We reach out in that because we know that our, left to ourselves, we're dead. But when we reach out to Jesus Christ to be our Savior and our Lord, He gives us life. And He gives us life more abundantly, Jesus said. This new covenant that we have is not only personal, it's not only spiritual, but it's life-giving. Most things in this world around us lead us to death. Have you ever noticed that the things that we really want to do, we tend to do too much of them, and they end up stealing us and robbing us of our soul? Have you ever noticed that? If we really like to watch TV or movies, if we're not careful, we end up doing so much of it that enjoyment goes out the window and and creates all kinds of stuff inside of us, and the things that we reach out to as coping mechanisms to help us cope end up creating addictions inside of us. And not only becomes doesn't become a crutch, becomes an even bigger chain around our neck. Everything around us that we look to for success and definition of our life and happiness and hope in the future ends up just becoming a big chain around us. And what Jesus Christ does is He comes along and we reach out to Him and He breaks all of that. And I'll talk about that freedom in a minute. And He gives us life. Third amazing thing. Not only is it personal, spiritual, not only is it life-giving, but it's glorious. Verse 9 says, For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the Old Testament is still glorious, but not as glorious as the new one. The ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. See, this new covenant, this new relationship, this new deal that Jesus made with us far exceeds the old. When Ford made the Model A back in like 1902, 1903, I think is when it first started selling. Basically, it was like a horse carriage with wheels and a little motor in the front, right? Like you could, if you spend 150 bucks more I think you paid 900 bucks. You could get one that actually had a top and keep you dry in the rain. You know what a novel idea! And uh, it had uh, the motor in it was eight horsepower. Eight horsepower, two speeds, two forward speeds and reverse. I mean, compared to horse carriage, that's glorious, right? You can't get horses with a carriage to back up. You can only go forward, so you get reverse out of the deal. You don't have to feed them. You don't have to water it. You know, you don't have to comb it and have a barn to take care of it and it had a top-end speed of, of 28 miles an hour. Woo-hoo, you know. Glorious. I imagine in that day, the Model A was a glorious vehicle. I'm told today, though, the, <coughs> the fastest street-legal Ford ever made today is, is made now. It's the, the 2020 uh, Mustang GT500, and it has 700 horsepower instead of 8 has a top end of like 180 miles an hour seven speed right and i'm sure you can get in all your colors and i don't have i didn't look up how much the thing costs i'm sure way more than i'd ever be looking at right but it would be would be glorious wouldn't you love to to hit some old abandoned airport and i mean really go it would be great i can't fathom you know what it would be i don't think i've ever even done over 100 you know i i just i probably be scared to death ah! you know hold on glorious what what Paul's talking about in this passage is like, look, the old stuff was good, but the new stuff is so much better. Why go back to the old? It's glorious. This new relationship we have with Jesus is glorious. Now here's the deal. I don't know why this is, but sometimes as we as people, when we... We've lived our life, and we kind of, most of all of us have grown up, whether it's in a religion with faith or without a faith. We have this idea with God that we just need to make the balances work with God. If I be a little bit better of a person today than I was yesterday, then everything's good. And as long as I believe in God and I'm a good person and I pray and I go to church every once in a while, then, then everything's good and I belong to that right group. Everything's good. And then we get to that point where God does something in our hearts through the Holy Spirit and He begins convicting us of our sin and saying, no, that ain't good enough. You may think that you're okay, but you're in trouble and you need help. And when we turn to Jesus to save us, He gives us life and He gives us freedom. i will going to talk about that in just a second. But then sometimes, even though that's more glorious and we're excited, if we're not careful, we begin to go back and rebuild a set of rules. And we begin to go back and almost like live under that old covenant of laws again. Well, I'm a good person because I did this, and I'm a good person because I did that, and all of these things. And I want to challenge us, River, that God gives us life. Am I saying it doesn't matter how you live? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying this is a whole new thing where our whole life and future is found in His goodness, not in our goodness. It's found in what He's done, not in what we've done. It's all about Him, not about us. It's glorious. And we should stay there in our heart, and our worship, and our life, and not recreate a new set of rules that we kind of define ourselves by and that we define whether or not we're a good person by. Our goodness is found only in the fact that Jesus our Lord died for us on the cross in Him alone. It's a glorious relationship. It's a glorious covenant. Verse 11, it's a permanent covenant. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Here's what he's saying. He's like, look, that old one, that was temporary. Model A, temporary. I think they turned around and within 20 years a model T was out and all kinds of new models, right? Temporary old, te- old covenant. This one, the one we live in today, is permanent. You see, we're not waiting around for another new relationship, another new deal. Like, God has spoken. We're not waiting for God to come do the next thing. You and I have got the next thing. I don't know what the Mustang GT 600 or 501 will do. I have no clue where they're going to go. I mean, do you really need 180 miles an hour in the street? No, you really don't. You really shouldn't. Like, you're going to kill yourself and go to jail and all kinds of other bad things, right, in the process? But we have the top-end model in our relationship with Christ right now. There's nothing more that we need in life. There's nothing more that we're looking forward to. There's nothing more that we're waiting on. It's absolutely permanent. The perfect has come. It's permanent in our life. Next thing. I don't know if I'm the fourth or fifth. It gives us freedom. I've alluded to it already. Look at verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. There wasn't freedom in the Old Testament. We we look back at that and we can joke about it sometimes. I mean, go back and read the book of Leviticus and the book of Numbers. Oh, my goodness. I couldn't keep all those rules straight. And that's the point to prove to us that we were just so sinful before such a holy God. And what God has done now is He's freed us from the law, He's freed us from sin, He's freed us from death, and He's given us freedom. That's why the Bible says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So much of this life produces death. So much that we think is going to provide happiness to us puts us in bondage. So much that we look to do in life chains us. We give ourselves to it. And what Jesus does, though, is He produces freedom. Freedom from, from the consequences of sin. We're released. Freedom from sin having control over us. The Bible in Romans says that God breaks those chains, literally. See, before Jesus, you might be able to reform part of your life, but you can't reform all of your life. You're still enslaved and enchained. But in this new covenant, God decisively breaks those chains. He breaks the handcuffs off of you, and you are free. You're free to go, and you're free as you live your life, free to live your life to be what God has called you to be, to live it with all the purpose and blessing and all that He's designed and wants in your life. Folks, this new covenant is is glorious. It's a freedom that He's given to us. I must admit that after a while, if we're not careful, we can take that for granted—that freedom. I want to encourage you to go back and reflect what your life was like before Jesus. Sometimes you forget, and sometimes we, you know, talk about first-world problems. You know, it's raining today. Oh my goodness! Can't believe it's raining. We—we can all do that. I do it too. I'm not dogging you. I'm in the same boat. And we need to celebrate this morning as we participate in this Lord's Supper. It's meant to stir in our souls all of these truths that God has freed us from condemnation. We're free to go. No longer, when you surrender your life to Jesus, do you have to be afraid of the other shoe to drop and for the the judge to hit on the, the, the podium there and, you know, guilty and take them away but He frees us to live life with such blessing, with such joy, with such purpose. Freedom. And the last thing that this that is just so wonderful, it's amazing, is not as it's freedom, but it's transforming. Look what He says in verse 18. He says, And we all, with an unveiled face, and there's a whole picture in here, it's the Old Testament, and you can read the story about Moses, but Basically, when we receive Jesus, God removes the veil. And there's nothing between us and Him. We can see Him as He is. That with an unveiled face, we're beholding the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. See how the Spirit's woven all through this new covenant in us? It's something inside of us. He says, guys, this new covenant, we behold God's glory. And we're being transformed into the same image. The picture is this. Old, old agreement, old relationship with God. You follow a set of rules. God's really distant. God's not really close. You really following in religion more than you are in this really close intimate relationship with God. In fact, everything about it says God's over here locked away. You can't get close to Him because you're a a really bad sinner. New covenant, you come right on in because all that is changed and removed. And instead, we begin to see the glory of our Lord intimately, like looking into a mirror. And it's almost as if when you and I look intimately and we see the God of the Bible and we see Him on all of His glory and all that He's done and we experience the Holy Spirit in our hearts and it It's profound, and it's moving, and it's transforming. It's like you and I looking in the mirror, and it's like we're looking at our Lord Jesus. And the longer we look, the more and more we see ourselves change into that very image. Because what God is doing is He's put His DNA inside of us, and it's multiplying. And as we experience that relationship with Him, it changes us. See, so often, this is part of what I was talking about a minute ago, so often we think about, well, I need to live a better life. I'm a follower of Jesus. I should do better. And we kind of go to old things of saying, well, I just need a, a new set of rules. I need to will it. I need to make it happen. That's old covenant thinking. New covenant thinking says you need to know and worship your Savior. As you worship and as you look deeply into the face of God, And you give yourself into that, you can't help but be changed. Your love for Him and your beholding of His glory will automatically change you because you're in the presence of God in heaven. It's a a universal thing. In fact, Paul says this is we all experience this. If you have that relationship with God, you're experiencing this with all of us. All of us are. It's transformational. It's powerful. That's an automatic thing. And it's progressional. You see he changes us from one degree of glory to another. It means that for our whole life, church, as the more we worship and know our God, the more he changes us. God is looking to form us into His image. And ultimately one day He finishes that job and we leave planet Earth and we're with Him for an eternity. Sometimes we get stalled out in the middle down here. We're like, I don't know what else there is. I believe in Jesus and I go to church and I do my thing and all that. And what happens when we're in that mode is we've got our eyes off of Jesus. Of course we're feeling that way. Because we're not walking in intimacy with our God any longer. And because we're not walking in intimacy with our God anymore, we're plateaued in our faith. And our life isn't changing, and we're not experiencing more and more of Him in our life. And we begin to feel flat, and we begin to look around. If we're not careful, we begin to blame other people around us. If we're not careful, we begin to blame our church for our own issues in our heart. We begin to blame our family. Well, you know, we just need more spiritual heat around here. The reality is, is we're the ones that need to change. We're the ones that need to get our eyes back on Jesus because when you walk with Him, He takes you from glory to glory to glory to glory. Am I saying that everything in the Christian faith is just a woo-hoo, this is exciting? No, I'm not trying to say that. But I am saying that God wants you and me to experience more of His presence, His grace, His power in our life And at the end of the day, what He's doing is He's shaping us into His image to look more and more of Him. That's that new covenant. That's what we crave and desire. And when we stop looking for this world to be that source of hope and future and all of this stuff, and we put our eggs in that basket, if you will, to use that analogy, that's when we really begin to glorify Him, to experience all that God has for us. Now, how do you get into this new deal how do you enter into that relationship with God? Jesus died. Does just everybody get it? No. Last little thing, and I'll show it to you quickly before we participate in our this Lord's Supper together, remembering all this. <clears throat> Look what the Bible says in verse 15. Paul says, Yet to this, Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord... The veil is removed <clears throat> again. He's talking about that picture. Moses, when Moses came down from spending that 40 days with God, writing the Ten Commandments, that old covenant, and the stone because he spent so much time with God, his face, the Bible says, it like shone, it was bright on the outside. Keep in mind, all the Old Testament's all about external stuff to prove things, New Testament's all internal. And what Paul is using as an analogy is like, look, until you really come and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. There's still something between you and God because you're not seeing God as He really is. How do we enter into that relationship with God? It's what He just said. Turning to the Lord. See it in verse 16, when one turns to the Lord. Turning to the Lord means you're turning away from where you were. It means before you weren't turned toward God. You were turned toward your own ways. You are turned to doing your own thing, to living life the way you wanted, to doing your own stuff. And that stuff in your own ways, your own lifestyle, your own habits, your own desires, we're full of sin and death and condemnation and all of the stuff we've been talking about, bondage. And when we finally, like those two men, realize this ain't working, we got to go to plan B or plan C or D, and we reach out to God, we're turning away from all of that and we turn to Him as our lifeline, to the Lord Jesus who died on the cross who paid for our sins so that we could have freedom and forgiveness and joy. That's the repentance and faith that the Bible talks about. It's us turning our back on all of our past. It not, not, doesn't mean that we're not grateful for the things in our past, but it means the, the sinful, the lifestyle, the choices, us ignoring God, us doing our own thing. We, we put that to our back and we say, God, I don't want that to be me anymore. I want a new me. I want to trust your son Jesus to follow Him. That's when we turn to Him in faith. We receive Him as Lord of our life. We surrender our life to Him, we often talk about around here, for His forgiveness, for His acceptance. We enter into that covenant relationship with Him that comes through faith, repentance and faith. And when we do that, when we experience that, All of these amazing things begin to happen in our life, and our life is forever changed, and it is forever changing as we glorify Him. This morning, in just a minute, as we participate in this supper, it's meant to be a reminder of that, to encourage us, to challenge us, to renew our our relationship, if you will, to help us focus, to help deal with some of those past tendencies to maybe some of the things we've allowed to creep into our life. So this morning, if you've never turned to the Lord, I'm not talking about church religion, denomination, what you went to. I don't care how many times you've read the Bible or not or prayed. That's not anything in this passage. What Jesus is looking for us is to turn away from our life, our old life of sin, and to turn to Him by faith, and receiving Him as Lord of our life. And if you've never taken that step in your heart, then I urge you this morning to do that. It's just as simple as that. as simply saying, God, I'm turning away from that. I realize what I've done, and I want to trust Jesus. I want Him to be my Savior, my Lord. When you take that step, you go from being out of a relationship with God to being in relationship with God, being out of network to in-network with all of the blessings and all of the things we talked about. So if you've never done that this morning, that's the, that's the number one thing that you should do. If you have, I invite you in just a minute, and when we participate in this supper, as you take this juice and this wafer, there's nothing special in these elements, but they're meant to be a, a symbol, a living metaphor, if you will, to remind us. That this new relationship that we have with God came with a price tag. Oh, we definitely get the better end of the deal because we get life and we get freedom and we get joy and we get all of that transformation change on the inside. But it cost our Lord Jesus His life on the cross and it's meant to remind us of that payment. Not to grovel in it, but to create gratitude, to create holiness, and to create affection Create a future, an encouragement with us that the price has been paid. You and I don't need to add to it. We need to live within it that it's all been done. So why don't you go ahead and take those now. They should be in the, the chairs in front of you. Should be enough to go around. Our ushers are done a great job laying those out. I'm grateful to the guys. And you can go ahead and pop open that top clear lid for the wafer. I have no idea what these are made of. They don't taste very good, to be quite transparent, but they're not supposed to. You can go have dinner and breakfast at home, right? But they're meant to remind us that our Lord God in heaven came to this earth with a real body, and He lived a real life, real flesh, And the juice is meant to remind us of His blood, that He sacrificed Himself physically and spiritually for your sins and for mine, and that our salvation comes only through this method. The Bible says there's only one God and one mediator between God and and man, man, women, children, only one mediator, and it's the man Christ Jesus who gave His life as a ransom, who paid that sacrifice for us. It doesn't come through religion. doesn't come through a church. doesn't come through you and me being a good person. It only comes through Jesus. So I'm going to read this passage, and then uh, we'll celebrate it together. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11:18, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. I you go ahead and open the next one. Be careful. Mine's already leaking out. And he says in verse 25, In the same manner he also he took the cup after, cu- after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant, that new covenant that we've been talking about. In my blood, it's a blood covenant, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Exclamation point. Until he comes, we do this to remember. Pray with me, church. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and his return. Lord, we celebrate it. Forgive us for taking it for granted. Forgive us for putting our focus elsewhere. Thank you for the reminder and the profound things that we looked at this morning and that Paul shared in Corinthians. Thank you for these truths. Lord, thank you for transformation, for freedom. And I pray that every person here today would find one thing in this passage, Father, that, that you would speak into their heart what they need to think about. Maybe it's freedom. Maybe it's transformation. I don't know. Um, Father, I lift them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll encourage you on that note, as you go home today, find one thing. Maybe it's forgiveness from sin. Maybe it's acceptance with God. Maybe it's Jesus' return. Maybe it's freedom we talked about. Maybe it's transformation. Maybe it's life. But all of that is part of that new covenant. Take one of those things. Think about it this week. Think about it today. Be grateful for it. Lean into that. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.